Our study brings us to Genesis chapter 21 this morning. I'd like for you to turn there with me to Genesis 21. The long-awaited event, the birth of the promised seed of Isaac. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him. Do you see the emphasis of the Holy Spirit? What God said, set time, what God said, Sarah bare to him. This redundancy is not redundant at all. The Holy Spirit repeats the truths that he wants us to know. This is not the son of the bondwoman. This is the miraculously born son of Sarah, as God promised 25 years ago that he would give. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear it will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which had been born unto Abraham mocking. May the Lord bless us and teach us. His word this morning. Uh, Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come to this portion that you have for us today. We marvel at your steadfastness, at your faithfulness. Oh, how our own faith is increased when you do far and exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. May as we study these precious promises that we remember that all you have promised, all you have said is true and will come to pass. Lord, we could not help but think of that great promise I will come again. I will receive you into myself. Lord, I think of the promise, Because I live, ye shall live also. Some are facing the twilight days of passing from this life. And you said, I, they will live again because you live. You're the resurrection and the life. But Lord, there are some that are outside of Christ. And they need to hear that glorious promise that, Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, give us your help today. Faith to that one who needs it. Show us the things of Christ. We pray in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. The birth of Isaac is one of the most notable miracles in the Bible. Twenty-five years have passed since Abraham was converted out of pagan idolatry. And given the promise that he and his wife, who was barren, would have a son. Their journey to this point had been one of ups and downs, miracles and doubts, wars, family problems, famines and feasting. Abraham is 100 years old when Isaac is born. Sarah is 90. She had been 75 when she was told that they would bear a son. and She had been 65, sorry, and Abraham was 75 when they were given this promise of a son. But I want you to notice the words of certainty in verse 1, as we've already alluded to. The Lord visited Sarah as he said. And the Lord did unto Sarah 
As he had spoken. These are faith building words. They're words that we can rely upon. Often in the scripture we have our Lord described to us as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And for a purpose. To each of these men he appeared in a very specific, real, glorious way. And when the Holy Spirit refers to our God in that way, he wants us to recall what God did through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here we see the powerful, miraculous, outstretched arm of the Lord. Oh, how these words build faith. As he had spoken, as he said, our Lord's promises are steadfast and sure. And every one of them will be fulfilled. We alluded to those. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will come again. These are promises that we're looking forward to. Some are relying on the promise, Lo, I'm with you always. Even though you go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, only God can tell the future. When I was a little boy, there was a woman named Jean Dixon. Some of you may remember Jean Dixon. And every year she'd come out with her prophecies that were going to take place for the year. The National Enquirer, that ought to tell you something there, would have her predictions on the front page. Something was going to happen somewhere. There was going to be a war somewhere on earth. Oh, that's, that's enlightening, isn't it? The stock market will rise and fall. There will be diseases that cannot be cured. Something will happen in space. And all these, these promises would come and people would ooh and awe and wonder what the next great thing would be. But only God is, can be, see the future. There are many who claim they can, astrologers and palm readers and seers. They are interviewed on talk shows and placed in the tabloids with their predictions and their things that they have seen. But these people really can't see into the future. They cannot tell you with a surety what's going to take place. Only God knows the end from the beginning. And when he speaks and when he commands, it is out of his omniscience that he does so. When you and I speak, we can only speak so far from what we've experienced or what we know or think or what we feel may come to pass. But when God speaks, when he gives a promise... When he gives a a summary on something, when he declares something, it is out of all of his omniscience. He knows everything that ever has been or ever will be. That's how he speaks. That's how he directs. When he says, Abraham, you'll have a son, no matter how impossible that may sound, God knows all and has all power to bring that declaration to pass. When he tells Abraham at the insistence of Sarah, let Hagar go and and her son and I will make Ishmael a nation God will take care of them our God the the God of this word is trustworthy and we can rely upon him to do what he says he will do we can trust him we can rest our case with him I think some people are fretting today and wondering if they can really trust God with their situation Pastor, you really don't know what is all involved here. You don't know me or those that are involved or or the depth of my sin or the uncertainty of my situation. And we wonder, we wonder if God, surely God could do it for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but that's a different case. This is me and this is now. But God can be trusted. You can rest the details and the tangled web that you've woven of your life in His care. In fact, only he can unweave and untangle those tangled webs that we have woven. He knows. He knows all. He will provide. He will perform perfectly all that he purposes to do. 
just nine months before God had told Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son at a set time. And it happened just as he said. Nine months later, the laws of nature notwithstanding, the Lord visited Sarah. That means that there was a supernatural work that had to go on for Sarah to bear. He visited Elizabeth, did he not? He visited Mary. The Lord visited Sarah. And in that word has all the creative powers of the universe behind it. Sarah conceived, the Bible tells us there in verse 2, and bare Abraham a son, and he keeps emphasizing, in his old age, as if to say, this is impossible, this can't be done, humanly speaking, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. No wonder they named their son Laughter. This was no, at this point, a laughter of unbelief. It was a holy giddiness, if you can imagine such a thing. So thrilling, so awe-inspiring. It just caused a chuckle, a laughter that here we are, 90 and uh, in our 90s, 90 and 100 with a baby. With a, uh, I, I tried to picture as I was studying some of the older couples in our church uh, being with child. You know, and it was funny. I must, I'm not going to tell you who I pictured, <laughs> but it did bring a chuckle to mind. And then I thought about, well, what if Kathy and I had a, had a child? And, and uh, we'd certainly would like that, wouldn't we? We'd, we'd bring them on. I'm sure she'd say that. I don't know if I'm quite, I think we've got our quiver full right now in this, this next generation. But I even surmised that a little bit. Think about it. Some of you older people put yourself in that. Doesn't that bring laughter but this is not a laughter of unbelief. This is a holy giddiness. God, only God could have done this and brought this to pass. He's a God of wonders, isn't he? A God of miracles. Years before, they had laughed in unbelief. You've got to be kidding. Sarah laughed and was rebuked for it. But now, this is different. A, whole, a miracle that only God could perform had taken place. That's what we're talking about today. Things that only God can do. Abraham understandably had many questions about how this would come about. Lord, he'd asked at one time, do you remember? He said, now I have a, a servant who's the head of all my household. Elizer, would he, is he the one that will stand in, in my stead? That was legal. That was done in that day. He could transfer the interest of his family and his, behold, his holdings to Elizer. Lord, is, 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 is he the steward of my house? Is this Elizer of Damascus? Is that what you're talking about? We try to figure things out for God, don't we? Oh, well, you couldn't mean that. So you must mean that this is how you're going to work it out. Is my servant going to fulfill this promise? Is that how you're going to do it? We try to figure God out, don't we? And, and make it easier for Him, as if we could do such a thing. Make it easier for God. God, I'm going to let you off the hook. I know you said that Sarah and I would have a child, but surely. And I'm, I'll tell the, the servants and all those that, that have heard this promise that you meant that you're going to do it legally through the head, the head steward. And God said, of course not. Absolutely not. And then when, when Sarah concocted the idea of a surrogate mother, again, legal, accepted practice. So and then Abraham even prayed. He interceded, oh, let Ishmael stand before thee. Oh, let him stand before thee. We often want to tell the Lord how to fulfill his word and his promises. Oh, no, Abraham, you've gotten it wrong. It, it will be you and Sarah having a son. And I'm, you're going to call him Isaac. His name was already given to them. Laughter. My ways are not your ways, the Lord says. My thoughts are not your thoughts. 
Verse, chapter 17, verse 21, my covenant will I establish with Isaac. That's very specific, isn't it? This is going to be through Isaac, not Eliezer, not Ishmael, not anyone else. It's going to be through Isaac. How specific. When God prophesies, he makes it hard for himself, and I'm speaking facetiously here. You and I can claim to be a prophet, and based on speculation and what seems to be and what would appear to be in the statistics and all could come up to maybe some kind of accurate prediction if I say it's going to snow tomorrow, I've got a 50-50 chance that it will, won't it? I mean, there is, it can or it can't. But the more specific you make the prophecies, the more difficult, the higher the chance is that it cannot come to pass. In fact, the prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah are so intricate, so many. Only a miracle could, could bring those things to pass. Faith is always tested to prove whether or not it's genuine. Now, this is where it gets deep because we think, Lord, I believe your word. We can sit in Sunday school and church and say, amen, God's promises are steadfast and sure. He's a God of wonders. Lord, I believe it. And Lord, I want to, we might even venture out and pray, I want to grow in faith. I want to know you more. We might even pray like Paul, the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your sufferings. And then when God takes us up on that, and either answers our prayer through testing or begins to, to deepen our faith through testing, then we don't like that because it will go against the flesh every time. Remember, we often say, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. You really don't know the depths or the breadth of your faith until God calls it into question. Isaiah 30, verse 18 And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord God is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. God's promises are just that. They're his. They're not something that man conjures. God's promises are so awe-inspiring, so detailed and take so much power, only God could do them. When you and I give a promise to someone, we we think about it ahead of time and, and pretty much make sure that we can do it based on our abilities, our expertise, and the resources that we have. We don't fence ourselves in or paint ourselves in a corner and promise that we can overhaul an engine if we don't know how to check the oil. You know, we don't know how to, we won't do that. We will, we will promise only what we can do. But our God has all the resources of time and eternity behind the promises He makes. They're His promises. When He gives them to us, they're backed by the treasuries of heaven, the bank of heaven. They flow from Him to us. And we see over and over again here, at the set time, at that specific time, fixed beforehand by the Lord. God works by a timetable. It may not seem that way to us because he who is timeless does not exist in the time frame that we do. But on our behalf, he always works in an orderly, timely way. At the appointed time, he says, I will return and you and Sarah shall have a son. Isaac was a child of promise, wasn't he? From beginning to end. He was especially promised from the Lord very specifically. 
more has been said about his birth than any other birth in the Bible with the exception of the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in type, Isaac is a type of the Lord Jesus. In the scriptures, there are types, pictures that stand for other pictures, and Isaac is a type, his miraculous birth. So many things we'll see in just a moment that parallel with the birth of the Savior. This is a creative miracle. This is not some sleight of hand. It's not something that can be figured out from a human or medical perspective. In fact, the Holy Spirit very specifically says that Sarah's womb is dead and that they may as well have been dead in that department. There was no ability for them to reproduce. Sarah's womb was dead. She was past childbearing age, unable to conceive or carry a child. And yet, this is a creative miracle. She physically has a child, conceives, and goes through nine months of of pregnancy and delivers the baby. She would have to receive a supernatural ability even to conceive. The writer of Hebrews tells us, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. What an enlightening commentary on what took place back here in Genesis. She judged him faithful who had promised. I want you to think about that phrase. I want you to think about your circumstance, where you are today, what your need is, what God has promised to you. Have you judged, deemed him faithful? Think about even daring to judge God. But here we're called to, we're, we're called to prove the Lord in those areas where he tells us to. We're not to fleshly and sinfully tempt the Lord our God. That's what Jesus told Satan when he says, if you jump off the, the pinnacle of this temple, he's given his angels charge over you lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus was response, you do not tempt the Lord your God. But... When he says, prove me now herewith and see if I'll pour you out a blessing you cannot receive. When, when we, he's given a promise that only he can give, then we can venture out and judge him to be true. And the writer of Hebrews says, through faith she judged him faithful who had promised. Think about that this morning. We judge God faithful to do all that he said he would do. That's where we rest today. Our soul rests within that statement. We judge him faithful. What did Paul said? I'm not ashamed. I, I believe that whatever I've committed to him, he's, he's faithful to keep that until that day. He knows what I've done. I have come to him in faith, and God will keep that which we've deposited to him against that day. I know whom I believed, he says, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that. He certainly is able to give a child at old age, isn't he? Would you say amen there if you believe that? We have record. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He can do all else that he's promised. All this is a picture, a type of the birth of the Savior, who would be born of a virgin, prophesied beforehand, and a miracle of miracles. Sir Robert Anderson says, Of all the Christian faith depends upon the truth of Matthew 1.25. He declares that all of the Christian doctrine, all of Christian belief hinges on that verse that says, And Joseph knew Mary not until she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. We see God prepared his people for the birth of the Messiah in other miraculous births. 
So when it would be time for the Messiah to be born, it would be no wonder that that would take place. All the Jews of, of Mary's day knew and believed in the miraculous birth of Isaac. They also knew of Rachel's conceiving and Samson's mother who was enabled by the Lord to conceive. And Hannah and Elizabeth, all these were just foreshadowings of the Lord miraculously bringing the Messiah. A.W. Pink says, If God quickened a dead womb and caused it to bear, why should it be thought a thing incredible if he made the virgin give birth to the Savior? God is preparing the world for the coming of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are several parallels, as we've mentioned, between Isaac's birth and the birth of the Savior. First of all, both were promised seeds, prophesied beforehand. Isaac, in in Genesis 17, verse 16, our Lord was promised in the garden to Adam and Eve, the seed of the woman will come. Isaiah 7, verse 14, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Both were alike in that a long time lapsed between the promise and the fulfillment of it. From Adam and Eve all the way until Mary brought forth the Messiah, there was a long time, 25 years passed in Abraham and Sarah's life before the the son was given. And then there were questions from their their brothers and, and from their mothers when the promise was announced. Sarah asked, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? In Genesis 18, verse 13, it's not an illogical question, is it? And our Lord's mother asked, and the Lord answered, Sarah, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And then Mary asked in Luke 1, verse 34, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She declares that she was a virgin. How can this be? God answered, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Oh, I praise God for that. Because even when things seem impossible in our lives, with God, nothing is impossible. When He's promised it, when He's said it in His Word, it is not impossible. It is entirely possible. And in fact, it is an assurity. It will come to pass. In each case, God's all-powerful might is emphasized. We see Isaac's name was given before his birth, wasn't it? In Genesis seventeen nineteen, Thou shalt call his name Isaac. Joseph was told in Matthew 1, verse 21, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. In both cases, the, the earthly fathers were given the prerogative to name the child. Now, I don't know about you folks. We had great, discuss, no small disputation, as the scripture says, when it came to the naming of our children. I mean, we would go back and forth. You know how that process goes, those of you who have children. What about, and the, one will say this name and the other will go, Oh, you can't be serious. I knew a girl by that name, and oh, my, I couldn't, I couldn't call my daughter that every time I would think about, or well, what about so-and-so? Well, I've got a cousin by that name. You go on and on and on, and just when it seems you get out the, the book, the name book, and you go through every name of everybody. I remember when the naming of our first child, after we had discussed, we could not agree on a name. And finally, Kathy said, well, there's a name I, I just always thought about and she she mentioned it and I said that's always been a favorite name of mine why is it we had to argue and wrangle and connive all through that and finally we both yeah that's it that's that's the name well ladies both Abraham and Joseph were able to name 
the children. And I can see some of you ladies saying, oh, my, if I'd left that to him, that, you know, what, what would they be called? But uh, the Lord actually named them, didn't he? He told them exactly what name to give his, his, the children. Isaac's birth occurred at God's appointed time. Genesis 21, verse 2, and Galatians 4, verse 4 tells us, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Both births required a miracle that only God could perform. Isaac was born to to a dead womb. Our Lord Jesus was born to a virgin's womb. And then the name Isaac given to him by Abraham, as we've mentioned, and not Sarah, which means laughter. And Jesus was said by God the Father, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Abraham and Sarah had to come to the end of themselves before God would work. As long as we have the props, as long as we've got it all figured out, oh, my steward, Eliza, he'll be the, oh, Ishmael. Lord, as long as we think we've got it figured out. Now, God is not illogical, although only he can bring to pass what he says he will do. They had come to the end of themselves. Their bodies were considered dead to produce a child, and time was passing from the time of the promise. God would have to quicken them before a birth could occur. We've been studying about the doctrine of regeneration, a quickening that must take place before a person can be born again. For there to be a new birth, a spiritual birth in our hearts, no less of a miracle must be performed. Because Ephesians 2 verse 1 tells us that we, we must be quick and regenerate because we're, we're spiritually dead in our trespasses and sin. Ephesians 4.18, having the understanding darkened. Our mind is not thinking right. It's darkened. That, and being alienated through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of the heart. This is the condition of all those outside of Christ. The unsaved man, the lost person, needs life a spiritual resurrection, a spiritual birth. In fact, Jesus said it must take place. Nicodemus, you're not going to heaven because you're a rabbi or a noted teacher in Israel. You must be born again. Nicodemus was absolutely perplexed by that. What could you mean? Does that mean literally? The spiritual birth is just as literal, just as real as a physical birth. You're here because your mother gave birth to you. And if you're a child of God, you've had a spiritual birth take place. We're totally lost. We're helpless. We're dead spiritually apart from a miracle of grace from God Himself to us. And it is an offense to the natural man to hear that he's dead. What do you mean I'm dead? I'm just as alive as you are. In fact, I'm probably more alive than you are, the alarm sinner may say defensively. The natural man, that word natural means born as you are, unsaved, unspiritual. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because they're foolishness to him. It was foolish, it was silly to Nicodemus to hear that he had to be born again. That couldn't take place. What are you talking about being born again? Neither can he know them. It is He does not have the lost person, does not have the capacity to understand these things. Why? Because he must be quickened. There must be a quickening. They're spiritually dead, and these things are spiritually discerned. He may be alive physically, but he is dead spiritually. And that's why John 5, 29 describes salvation as a passing from death to life. 
just as Abraham would be quickened before Isaac would be born, so must the lost person be quickened by God before he can become a son of God. Before Isaac could be born, God must perform a miracle. God asks, we've seen there in Genesis 18, verse 14, is there anything too hard for the Lord? It is absolutely impossible for us to cause ourselves to be born. It's absolutely impossible for us to cause ourselves to be born again. Jeremiah 32, verse 17, Ah, Lord God, Thou hast made the heaven and the earth by Thy great power and outstretched arm, and there is nothing too hard for Thee. Before we could be made a child of God, God had to perform a miracle. He had to open our understanding by regenerating work of the Spirit. A miracle for us to see, I am lost. God's Word is true. I am not righteous. I am not worthy. There is something deeply and desperately wrong within. This regeneration is a supernatural work, just like was performed in the womb of Sarah. The new birth is not turning over a new leaf. It's not saying, okay, I'm going to get my act together. I've, I've kind of blown it. I've, I've gone through college. I've kind of partied and lived, or I've lived my life on my own, and now I need to get serious about this. We're about to have a baby or whatever. People come to these crisis times in their lives, and you know what? I need to straighten some things out. I, I need to do something different. This is not working too well. Or they, they think, you know, now it's time to give God a chance, or this problem is so big, I need to, do, I need to straighten things out. And so they'll just start doing something different. Let's go to church. And as if that in itself... Will will fix the situation. It's not starting a spiritual program, as important and good as spiritual programs can be. I'm going to read the Bible every day. I'm going to read it through. I'm going to get in a Bible study. It's not or, or determining to live a better life. I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to start doing things differently. It's not joining something or adopting some new religious beliefs. That's not what regeneration is. It is a direct act of God, whereby a sinner has their heart opened and the spiritual eyes made to see their sinfulness and their need for a Savior. And spiritual life is given and the sinner is brought to a place of repentance and belief on the Lord Jesus Christ. The new birth, though, does not solve all your problems. Have you learned that? <laughs> Can somebody say amen to that? Well, I've, been, I've got things so messed up. I'm, and they do come to an absolute crisis and come to the Lord and, and are saved by His grace. And they breathe a sigh of relief and feel so good. The burden of sin, as in Pilgrim's Progress, is rolled away. And, and you think, oh, this is great. And all of a sudden, bam, it happens. And we think, where did that come from? I thought everything was, I'm on the right path. I'm trying to do right. I've been, I've been saved I've, been, I've gotten right with the Lord. But what you need to know that the new birth brings about a new conflict. And that's what happened when Isaac was born. Sarah, they had a great birthday party, if you will. It was a weaning party. We don't do that, I'm sure, here back in. But when he was weaned, Abraham had a feast because that was the first step in Isaac becoming independent and becoming the first step of becoming a man. And so they had a huge party like you'd have a birthday party and as Sarah looked over and she saw Ishmael who is now about 16 years of old scoffing and making fun of Isaac 
maybe even to the point of hurting him or attempting to, to, to be rough with him. And she probably already seen the jealousy in Ishmael's life. But now, as a teenager, she saw that there were going to be severe problems. Now, we're going to look at that situation. And I know, humanly speaking, it's hard for us to understand all that. But just this morning, we'll introduce the fact that Sarah saw this, this conflict between Ishmael, who was born of the flesh, and Isaac, the son of promise. The Bible tells us there in verse 9, she saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which had been born to Abraham, mocking. It's the word scorner that we see so often in the book of Proverbs. It is used by the Holy Spirit in the most severe of making fun and light of the things of God. Paul tells us, and those who come to faith in Christ, this I say then in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, walk not, don't conduct your life Walk in the Spirit, and, not, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Romans 7. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. They're open, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. He gives a whole list of things that only the flesh can produce. But the fruit of the Spirit is the exact opposite of all that. Love and joy, peace and long-suffering, gentleness and goodness and faith, meekness, temperance against such as there is no law. Before your conversion, your conscience may have been bothered. Your wife may have gotten upset. Your mother-in-law may not have liked things. There may be all kinds of problems. There may, be, you, there, may, there may have been a certain amount of guilt and things, all that had to be dealt with. But that's not what we're talking about here. Now there's an absolute struggle within between the new life, the new man, and the old man. There's a warfare that begins after the spiritual life, after a person has been born again. Just as there are two sons in Abraham's household, we have two natures, each standing in direct opposition to the other. And may I tell you, the old nature will always act like the old, unsaved nature. When those horrible thoughts come into your mind, those words when you get mad, and you think, where did that come from? You know where it came from. It came from the old man, the old nature, the heart. You cannot improve the old nature. You can put the old nature on every kind of program, every kind of Bible study, every kind of thing you want to. The old nature will always be corrupt and produce corrupt fruit. You must have a new nature. And these two are in, in opposition to the other. Now, there are glorious truths, and we don't have time to go into all of them this morning, but the Bible tells us that the old nature has been rendered inoperative. He's dead. As, as far as having authority over you. You still have an old nature, but he does not have authority over you. The sin shall not have dominion over you, he tells us in Romans chapter 6. Oh, please dive into Romans chapter 6 and swim deep there in that glorious passage of Scripture. There's such declarations there. That's where your, your emancipation proclamation is in Romans chapter 6. You are free from the, the sin and the old man uh, has no more authority over you. And I'll give you just one brief illustration. Let's say you were on the slave market being auctioned off. 
You had had a cruel master who beat you and treated you worse than an animal. And a gracious master came by and paid your redemption price and set you free, gloriously free, free from the shackles of sin, free from the the putrid circumstances of your, your life. You have your own place now. You're, you're growing your own fruits and vegetables. You're living in the glorious liberty of the Lord. The old ma- master comes by and looks over your garden fence and says, Who do you think you are anyway? Get back in my garden and go pick that, those apples. And when you get through that, it gives you this list of things. Does he have any authority over you whatsoever? He can intimidate. He can cause you to doubt your standing. And you can give in, can't you, and go back to the old master. But who would do such a thing? That's what salvation does. We've been bought from the slave market of sin and set free, gloriously, gloriously free. But the old master never stops taunting, never stops suggesting, never stops accusing. You cannot improve the old Master, he's always going to be just like he is. You must have a new one, an answer to the new one, and nurture the new nature by God's word and and prayer, and the truth will set you free. Isaac has been born. What a miracle that has been. But a conflict has started. Those of you who know the Lord realize there's a conflict, and that conflict is real. The flesh will lust against the spirit. In the spirit against the flesh. But the glorious truth that God wants you to know, but Satan does not want you to know that you are free. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Who what? Walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. If you obey the flesh, where, does that, where is that heading? Where is that going to lead you? You know you've been on that road. You know where the flesh will lead you. It's a merciless tyrant. And the end thereof is what? It is death. But the Lord is light and glory and blessing and help and freedom. May the Lord bless His Word this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I pray to that one who may be outside of Christ, you would show them that He is the door. Lord, you said by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh to the Father but by me. Your word has declared it. And I pray, Lord, that you give them faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Open those eyes, the spiritual eyes, the eyes of the inner man, to see him, the only Savior. May they come in childlike faith and receive you and tell you their need. You can go to Jesus just now where you are and tell him your situation, your need of a Savior, your need for the cleansing from your sin, your desire for him to rule and reign over you and to be His and only His. Oh, would you go to Jesus just now? He will receive you. He said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. To that one who's struggling hard under the weight of, of their own sin, they've been saved, Lord, but they've been rebellious and gone their own way. May they repent and come before you for your cleansing. Your word says if we confess our sins, that His faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, bless this word today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.